Hey everybody, this is Eric Frankhouse from EFP, episode 37. Today we're going to be doing Lichdom. What is it good for? Now, I've been wanting to talk about monsters on EFP since... Shit, episode 1. Episode 0. Monsters are my jam. Um, I share that with, with my buddy Adam Daigle from Paizo and a few others. And while I could dive into how liches were made and who came up with the concept and where they first appeared... There are so many great YouTube videos and, and blog posts about that already. Instead, I want to talk about Lichdom itself. The idea of being one, playing one, and how to use them in their game, your game, as a player or as a GM. So let's, let's not talk about where they came from. Let's talk about how we use them now that we have them. In the episode, we're going to be going over why be a Lich, how to become one, the phylactery, battlegrounds and terrain, story hooks, and then we'll close it all up with a little of my personal ideas and insights for how I feel about Lichdom and the story of Honiger. Why be a Lich? And this is from the player in and the GM's perspective. Well, first off, you are really hard to kill. And for those that uh, don't want to die, this is a great way. You were born every D10 days if you go by the old edition. And I think 5e as well is a D10 days. So you're granted a mortality out of this, essentially. You always come back as long as your phylactery is intact. Those are important things. Like, becoming a lich is about, I think having the ability to outlive those around you or to accomplish a goal that your age or limitations of your ancestry or race, depending on what game you're playing, would limit you. That's huge. And I think sometimes people are liches not out of seeking it out, but out of part of an omen or a curse or something along those lines where they became a lich because their spirit wouldn't die or their soul was separated from their body, but their body lived on and they continue to seek it, to find it, to try to find their soul and put themselves back together. That's a really good way to do it as well, where it's not about the power, but it's about the struggle. And speaking of power, power and control, the amount of power a lich gets, this the sheer bonuses of being a lich is amazing. Like You can do things that other mages cannot do. I think that is a huge part of, of why a player wants to become a lich. That idea of really becoming the necromantic caster that they were looking towards. Because let's be honest, if you were a fighter, you wouldn't become a lich, you'd just become a death knight. And that's a story for a different day. And necromancy as a whole. If you were a necromancer or someone who deals in necromancy, cleric, or a wizard, or, or sorcerer, Necromancy on the cleric sides, all your healing spells and raising dead, speaking to dead and so on, not always negative. There has been cases in history where, uh, history of gaming, where some liches are good. I had one in a Greyhawk game that was a follower of Paylor. They they just never died and they continued to be a um, conduit for Paylor. And the idea of doing this, the easiest was in death to become undeath and it worked great, and it was one of the favorite favorite uh, PCs or NPCs in the game. On the evil side, the necromancy of raising undead and doing things, 
as an undead yourself, you can do things like have only inflict harm and, and, and inflict wounds and negative energy spells and heal yourself and your army or your things you're summoning. So I think necromancy is a huge part of the concept of being a lich. Um, it, it's what makes them. It's the undead body raised and the soul separated from it. So being a lich to me is kind of encompassing those things, although specific reasons, and we'll get into those in the next sections of why someone or how someone can do it and what the phylactery and how it's tied in. But as a whole, being a lich is about power, control, everlasting life, I mean, unless I find your phylactery, and the ability to use necromancy to a much more significant degree. I didn't even think about this during my initial recording. I'm going to add it now. Liches in 5e are not only just powerful, they are 18th level spellcasters. Why to be a lich? 18th level, that's why. And I know that doesn't make sense for the player side, that'll be a template, but the idea of how you use them in a game, these things are extremely dangerous, extremely powerful. They're a challenge 21, and they didn't used to be that high. Quick word from our sponsors. EFP is something that can only be done with the support of our sponsors, my patrons, and the people who listen to the show that donate. Um, the next ad you're going to be hearing is something that is recorded for Anchor, because Anchor pays us for, for doing this by having ads on the show. So take a listen, and I'm pretty sure it's probably going to be Flipboard or Anchor itself. I do wish they told me. <laughs> but either way, I do use Flipboard every day. And I think if this is the ad, you'll understand why. So how do you become a lich? Well, it's different in every system, but I have a few ways that I think work the best. Um, but I'll start with a story. A friend of mine played a character where he became a lich. Knew he wanted it right away. He wanted to be a deity. He wanted to be a deity of undeath. And he wanted to make his own religion and become a lich to do so. So he did that, and uh, he branded his chest. Like, God, I think it was like level three with like a hot iron brand, and the brand was a um, a ram skull. And we broke down the process of what a lichdom was, and I told him, hey, you're going to at least need the magic jar spell to complete this. Uh, you don't want someone else doing it for you because it has to be tied to you. You need to know where your phylactery is and so on. And we went through the process. 5e looking at it, it's a little different. There's such a high CR, you would have to break down what a lich is by components, and I know in Pathfinder is a template for it. 3.5, had templates as well. But how to do it doesn't have to be... I don't think it should just be the mechanics. There should be story. That's a huge part. The, the struggle of separating soul from body uh, so that you can become immortal and your phylactery will rebirth you into another body or however you decide that works. There are other ways. I had a child in one of my games that was cursed, and the curse made them a lich. They, every time they died, they would take over the body of a newborn child, and that child would grow to the same age in 1d10 days. So the nearest creature that was born, or nearest humanoid race that was born, they would take it over, and within those 1d10 days, they would turn it into an undead and be full-powered lich again. Crazy story arc. Had a lot of fun with it. An artifact could do it. You know, we've dealt with Vecna our entire lives. If you watch Critical Role, you know, having the hand of Vecna made made Joe's character obviously a little more on the evil side. But he didn't become a lich, but there, that could be part of the process is having an artifact that does it. A tome of lichdom. 
Um, it could be runes. It could be a location that you you get the information on how to go through the process. Magic or divinity. Like I said before, I made the guy who was playing uh, Honiger. He had to have the magic do it. Need a magic jar. Uh, a deity could do it for you if you've done enough for them. Maybe the undead deity or an evil deity or a good deity that sees undeath is uh, the next cycle of life turns you into a lich. Super easy. In Athantia, a lot of times, in my, my soul punk Victorian horror game, it's emotion that does it. If you are uh, in death throes or near death and bad things have been happening or you're in an emotional state, your soul gets separated or you're tortured too much or something, um, when your soul is separated, it will lock onto that place and your body will become a lich and every time you're reborn in that place of death. And that works really well for that setting or other games barovia you know ravenloft to be perfect for that or crafting maybe you craft the undead body separate your soul and use that body for it uh, building yourself the undead machine i think all of these are viable ways to to become a lich what do you think call into the show let me know now for my favorite part the concept of the phylactery Phylacteries in lichdom are where your soul is kept. Many times this is a jar, like an Egyptian canopic jar, an amulet, a ring, an object of power, and that is where your soul is kept. And anytime you die, you are reborn from that object. So you basically go through the process of death and reconstruction. There's many ways to do this in different games. Um, and if you're playing 5e, you know, they, they break it down for you pretty well. I have some different ideas on how phylacteries work. To me, it's just where your soul is harnessed and your body is rebuilt near that, or you take over a body within that area. So for example, objects that hold your soul. Here's some things that I love to use. The typical amulet and ring and stuff like that is great, but I love giving a cursed weapon that the players don't know is cursed. And any time this lich dies in combat, especially if he's killed with that very sword, slowly but surely, as that sword is being still used after the lich dies, he takes over the body of one of the PCs as soon as they pass. They make their death saves, they fail that death save, the lich takes over. Tell me that isn't a great long-term game plan for how a phylactery works. Time is irrelevant to a lich. And they're going to die eventually, and the Lich is going to have a powerful body if it's later on. I think the idea of the curse ever seeking, um, if it's a curse, like that sword I was talking about, there's other objects you can use. You can use a room, for example. It doesn't have to actually be an object. It can be a location. Uh, you could also take the idea of the emotional death in a prison and make the prison the place he is reborn every time. And when a new person dies in that prison, and maybe it's his now dungeon he's taken over, he was reborn through one of those prisoners as the Lich again in a D10 days. I think a person is my favorite phylactery, where they pull their soul, put it into another person's body, and use that so they have a walking body for their phylactery. Granted, they'll have to make a new one, unless it's like an embedded gem or something along those lines inside that person. Now you have a body for when you die and need to be reborn. It just takes time and process. That's a great way to do it. And there's a lot of cool things you can do with that. It can be followers of that lich. It could be um, 
a, a, a random person in a village so they have a new place to take over to raise their undead army. There's a lot of things you can do with it to make it powerful and story-driven. I also think that the idea of the phylactery changes the lich. It changes their personality. You now know you don't die easily. If not, you're immortal. You know that that phylactery is a covenant thing and secret, and you hide it from people, so you're not sharing it. I don't even know if you write down what your phylactery is, how the players learn about it, because they have to destroy that phylactery to truly destroy the lich. I think that is a fantastic personality concept to keep in your head with the phylactery and the lich. Think about what it is, where they would hide it. Is it an everyday site? Is it a person? Is it an object? Is it a place? Think about how that lich in real life would equate what their phylactery should be. Make it unique. Don't just make it a jar. Do something new. If it's a gem, make it a family heirloom of their great-grandmothers who was the queen of a realm. Make it have importance so they know that it will always be around people so when they die, they have somewhere to go. So where do you fight a lich? Well, 5e has done cool things with their new layer actions where, for example, on initiative count of 20, uh, losing initiative ties, a lich can take layer action to choose one of the following magical effects. Lich can't use the same effects two rounds in a row. There are things here like roll a d8, level of spell is regained, target a creature within 30 foot, negative energy you can hit them with. This idea of their battleground being prepared, being something that they know how to use and have set up almost like a dragon because it's their lair. So battlegrounds are important. The environment, the terrain that you fight a lich in is important. They do leave their domicile once in a while. They leave their their home, their lair. But as a lich, you're not attractive, so you're doing that with spells, and you're probably not roaming around a lot. Why when you can send other people? And it talks about them feeding souls to their phylactery to keep it powered. And I love that idea of, like, as they kill PCs, feeding the souls of phylactery to, to make it more and more um, um, powerful, resistant, or, or resilient. And to keep that phylactery intact, harnessing their soul, kind of like fuel for the fire. But for the battlegrounds, you know, crypts are the classic place to do it at. Um, I've seen them in burial mounds too, and you can change the historical connotation of, of what type of lich it is. My favorite that I've used is a fallen star, and the actual star that hit the impact point and blew up in that, that huge crater that was left behind the tunnels as the pieces shot out is the lich's lair, and that lich is actually an alien creature or an aberration, depending on what you're playing. An underwater kingdom is great. Maybe even though they're undead, they're confined to water, and if they leave water, they can only leave for so long. Could make an amazing lich. Think about making a lich of, like, uh, all the water creatures that are in 5e and Pathfinder. Your troglodytes, your sahagin, um, sea elves, tritons, so on. Or if you want to be, I mean, just ruthless, the underwater giants that you can use to make liches out of. An underwater kingdom would be a great way. He's got a resource of creatures around with souls to feed his phylactery. Especially if he's um, almost become animalistic in his ways. Where he's just feeding fish and shark souls and things like that to the phylactery to power it. But he needs humans and more powerful souls because they last longer. An undead ship works great. Air or water. 
Um, and he is a pirate that is bound to this as a wizard of the seas. That works fantastically as a layer form. Everything's stored on these multiple decks. Played a lot of Sea of Thieves lately, and my pirate ships have given me ideas for how you could do a necromantic ship and, uh, and have a phylactery built into the ship itself. So even when it sinks and blows up, since you're not using special weapons to destroy it, he's reborn at the bottom of the ocean, and the ship itself reforms with him. Almost like it is tied to the phylactery itself. I think that could be awesome. And then there's the classic Necromancer's Tower. And my players know I love towers in my games. They're one of my favorite things to have. And a Necromancer's Tower can go sub-levels down or super high up. But I think you can do really individual things with a Necromancer's Tower. It doesn't need to just be the traditional spire. You can go out horizontally with it. Have a bridge across multiple, like you're, you're playing Skyrim. Um, but in that tower, you can have an entire city if it's built well enough. Or just walls and lines of people who are waiting for purgatory. Could be an amazing way to have that set up. Because if he is the funnel for purgatory, he can use those souls as the gatekeeper. And once you hit the top of the tower and go across the bridge into the ether, you go into wherever it is you belong. Your god grabs you or one of his people grab you and bring you to the realm you belong in. But up that tower, the necromancer gets to pick and choose and get so many souls to feed his phylactery. Make that necromancer tower unique to the setting you're playing in. Magic and Monsters, Marks of Men, is now available on Patreon. From award-winning GM Eric Frankhouse comes a new 5th edition setting of High Magic. Learn more at patreon.com forward slash presents. Thanks again, Drew, for recording those bumpers for me. If you want to hear more of Andrew Staten's work, you can find him on Demon Days, a new actual play podcast, which is on the network After the Hype. You can find After the Hype on any of your podcatchers. You'll see the first episode of Demon Days listed in there. So let's get down to the important part, story hooks. How do you involve a lich into your game as a GM? And how do you make it to where this CR, if you're playing 5e, 21 doesn't show up and just murder everybody? So I have some good starting points and then how you can build it through a full story arc or just plug and play it at high level. I believe one of them is a hero's family dies to a plague. Divinity brings him back, but... Their phylactery is the only surviving child. So let's say that uh, the husband or wife dies, and the child survives, and the lich knows about it, and they are in seek of finding them. But something about this divine intervention stops them from finding their child through magic. So they send armies out to find them. Great concept. Wants to bring them back, not to kill them, but to keep them near them in case they die. A lot of... Uh, there's going to be a lot of drama and emotion involved in that if you run it correctly. Another one is the person died in a dungeon during a magical siege. Uh, their soul is bound to a single stone they stared at during all their torture, during all the horrible stuff, through the years that they'd been there. And that phylactery is then carved from that block from the floor or the walls. The one thing, like, a, like in a movie, you just see them staring at them so you don't see everything happening to them off camera. And that focus is where their soul is implanted, wanting to leave the prison. The siege happens to pick up that, that piece and make their phylactery. 
and figure out that they did die, but their soul is within that stone. And you can run that over a long arc or the beginning of a war and the rise of a new king or queen. You could do that as a siege and then a creature of vengeance coming back out of this and armies being sent. If you're using the new strongholds and followers rules, you can do a lot of stuff with the warfare in that. Love that idea. It's something I'm thinking about doing in my own game. Then you got one where there's a lich, like I'd said before, stuck underwater. Have it be a pearl or a ship. And the phylactery is stolen to the surface. And they cannot uh, get their phylactery because they can't leave the water. So they send things out, waves of Sahagan and creatures to find it, and undead minions. The other thing you can do with that, though, is if he was to die, he would be reborn next to that phylactery. But he knows that if he's reborn outside of the water, horrible things will happen. Just don't share that with the players. Don't have that written. Don't let that be history. They would have to research the phylactery itself, which would be dangerous. The Lich would talk to them through it. Uh, the Lich should be able to locate them because where his phylactery is, because they always know where their soul is, unless there's something blocking it, like divinity, like in the other scenarios. You could say that he can track it, and in tracking it, um, he, you can do a lot of crazy things on ambushing them and, and things along those lines. Let's take the idea of the star falling from the sky, hitting the ground, bursting and creating all of these tunnels and veins within uh, the earth itself and say an aberration dies during that starfall but his children crawl out laying eggs and living creatures and the lich is reborn into those bodies every d10 days the body is weak it doesn't matter he's constantly seeking for a body powerful enough to hold him this will let you do a whole aberration from the stars feeling uh, from pathfinder and the idea of his lair being all these winding tunnels for meteorite that shattered off into the earth and his creatures that have dug other mines in between. I highly recommend using veins of the earth for that. You could do some crazy uh, tunnel systems in this crater. And that lich himself should be a little more alien and feel like a, maybe almost like a xenomorph with a skeleton on the outside, an undead feeling. The other one is the powerful caster. It's corrupted by a flesh-eating spell. Hurdley goes through the process of becoming a lich, but too soon. And instead of him being reborn every D 10 days when his body uh, dies, he is just reborn every D 10 days next to his phylactery because he has not found a way to hold that bond. So his time in these undead bodies burns up quickly. So he's on a constant hunt for a solution to his problem. And you could do that lower end. And slowly grow him into a full-level witch or warlock or a full-level necromantic caster along with your players. I wouldn't do that at first level, but you could give the inkling of it around three to five. The last one is a god dies, but becomes a lich seeking their portfolio to regain divinity. And when they die, all their magic seeps out from them into the ground, raising an army of undead and creatures of undead. Maybe it's plaguing the countryside, but he himself is weak. While immortal, while still having an immortal undead body, his phylactery is lost to him, and this portfolio is in hiding. And when they regain maybe even pieces of the portfolio, maybe they were the god of war, and they regain the you know domain of shadows, and they regain the domain of, of you know negativity or neutral evil, whatever it is you're using in your game, their level and power as a lich grows. And the final version could just be that demi-lich status 
until they become full divinity and their body can be like this spectral looking creature. And that's for a higher level play, like that 10 to 20 level. You don't want to, he sure hit, hell don't want to deal with divinity at a low level, but you could deal with the aftermath of him dying at a low level and build up to your second book or however you break yours up TV show, second season as the God uh, rising back to power. And these are just ideas for story hooks. The pirate ship one, you could do a lot with that, with a necromancer that sailed the high seas and was a slaver, and all the slaves in his ship are now his souls that he uses to bring the ship, and they rebuild it at the bottom of the ocean every time he dies, and the, the phylactery is this engine for the ship. You could even do that stuff in sci-fi as well. And Grimmer Space, which I just finished doing a bunch of maps and artwork for, I think the idea of a lich in Grimmer Space could be fantastic through science, never dying and always being reborn in this, like, nanotech vat. Think about ways you could use liches outside of the normal. Uh, outside of what we always think of as the typical fantasy, powerful mage becomes powerful, turns into a lich, wash, rinse, repeat. Think about new ways that you can use a lich uh, and, and to use its power in unique ways to your campaign setting. Since we just talked about magic and monsters, I will tell you how in my game a lich is born. There are two versions of liches in my game currently. Not to say there can't be more. There is the liches of the Court of the Bone. They aren't necessarily evil. They aren't necessarily good. They are beings of necromantic energy. And their phylactery is usually built into something that their family owns. So when you become a lich, your family becomes entrusted to you to protect it. And there's a room built for you somewhere in a lair... So that when you die and come back to life, they are there to start piecing things back together, getting your spells back together for you. It's, it's Your family is born around the idea of your lichdom. It's an honor to become a lich in, in Magic and Monsters for the Court of Bone. And there are a few families that do that, but the idea of the lich being something that is idolized within the courts, I thought was a great way to handle them. Instead of them just being something boring and that you have in every game. The other version are creatures born in the flensing fields. When magic flows through during the arcanic storms or when the flood rolls through or spells are getting volleyed from each of the different kingdoms, there's a chance that your soul separates from your body. You get hit with the wrong spell. Something rolls through and it gets separated into usually an object and you become a lich roaming to find your artifact to gain your true power. Because once you are reunited with it, you become a full-fledged lich, not just a roaming revenant. It's almost like stepping stones from revenant to death knight, or in my game, a fell knight, to a lich. And that's the other one that is in my game. Now, magic, you can become a lich. Usually it's done through the Court of Bone. Imperia, they may do it the old-fashioned way. Liches might just be born out of... One of the ways we talked about earlier, they're your bad guys, your monsters, currently within the setting. So that's it for me. Let's go into just some closing thoughts. So that's everything for episode 37. The idea of lichdom. What is it good for? I'm sure you know what song I pulled that inspiration from. 
I hope this helps you in running these powerful creatures. The CR21s and, and, and 5E, the old school 3035, whatever system you're running them in. I hope this gives you unique ideas and the perspective of how to play a Lich as a player or as a GM how to run these fantastic monsters of myth. I hope it helps you become a better GM, to run a better game, and if you have questions, remember Anchor is a free app you can download. You can find it on your Android device, Windows device, or iPhone. All you got to do is download anchor.fm, find the show, favorite that thing, put a star, and then call in. I'll put you on the show and we can have a conversation. If you have any questions as players or GMs to me as, a, as an Iron GM and as a, as, a, as a GM, I would love to help you answer those, to find solutions to your problems. So I hope this episode was fun for you as it was for me. I'm glad to be back in the saddle. And uh, I will talk to you guys next time. I'm hoping to have an interview this month as well, depending on how things go. I will be at MegaCon uh, the 14th through the 20th. If you're going to be out in the Orlando area, you want to say hi, I'll be helping out at the ChessX booth. And other than that, that's it for me. Until next time, watch, listen, learn. Be a better gamer.